Welcome to Pure Heart Church Podcast, Becoming Like Jesus. You're about to hear another inspirational message, and our prayer is that you are encouraged and one step closer to becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. Why can it be so hard to connect with other people? Why do we struggle sometimes to have compassion for other people? And we know that it's good to be vulnerable and real with people who are safe, but why is it so hard to find the courage to actually do this? Why do we struggle sometimes to have compassion for ourselves? Well, if you struggle with any of those things, then today's message is for you. Title of today's message is The Price of Perfection. It's the cost of control. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a perfectionist. I mean, just look at my life. I don't struggle with perfection. I don't struggle with control. I have imperfection everywhere. I have imperfection in my job. I have imperfection in my family. Yeah, me too. But in some way or another, we all struggle with this perfection or this idea of control. You might struggle with perfection if you struggle to start projects, finish products. Maybe you're highly critical of others or highly critical of yourself. Or maybe you struggle with thoughts or feelings of shame, insecurity, fear, or defensiveness. Now, if you've read your Bible before and and, and you're in the Sermon on the Mount, you might be thinking, Pastor Mike, well, what about that one verse where Jesus says, be perfect? That's a great point. Let's look at that verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what Jesus is doing in this, in this moment in the Sermon on the Mount is he's summarizing everything that he said up until that point. Everything that he said about healthy communication, about anger, about lust, how to be faithful, how to keep your word. He's summarizing all of that with this one statement, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you're like, that kind of sounds really hard. That sounds impossible. Well, maybe the idea of perfection in this verse is... We, we, we got it a little bit skewed. We got a little bit wrong. Because the other way that this word can be translated is not just perfect, but mature. Be perfectly mature. Dale Bruner, in his, uh, in his commentary on Matthew, he writes this. The word teleoi is usually translated as perfect. But the noun perfect seems to me too cold to carry the warmth, the weight, the width, and the humanity of teleoi. Perfect in English seems often to mean faultless, flawless, and other superhuman or semi-fanatical connotations that are neither pleasant for others nor true to Jesus' sense. Jesus uses this line to summarize everything he said so far in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 5. So Jesus is basically saying, when you surrender your life to God, when you fully recognize that he is in control and you are not, and you fully realize that his goodness and his love for you, so much so that you can begin to love yourself the way that God loves you and love others the way that God loves them, you will grow to be perfectly mature in the faith. And do you know what a mature person does? Well, they communicate clearly. They don't have resentment or bitterness. They fight off lust and infidelity like death. They don't make promises they can't keep. They have emotions, but they aren't ruled by their emotions. They even love those who disagree with them. This is perfect maturity in Christ. I want to tell you something. It might be hard to hear, but you are not perfect. I'm not perfect. 
you aren't perfect. So let's stop trying to be perfect. We make mistakes, we sin, we sin against others and we sin against God. So when we sin or make a mistake, we can respond with perfect maturity in Jesus. And we're not called to be perfect, we're called to be mature. And when we receive the Holy Spirit and the perfection and the holiness that he brings, we are able to and will become perfectly mature in Christ. But in order to do this, we must embrace our imperfection. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should embrace our sin. No, flee from sin, flee from temptation. absolutely. Don't embrace your sin, but embrace the fact that you have sinned and you will sin again. Embrace the fact that you are not perfect. And only then can we truly embrace our need for our Savior and our love for our Savior. Not having bitterness and resentment that we need a Savior, bitterness and resentment against Jesus who has come in to save us, but an absolute love and gratitude that he is there for us and has already called us enough. Let me tell you what I mean. Brene Brown, psychologist, uh, she wrote a book called The Gifts of Imperfection. And what she writes in that book, you do not have to be perfect to be enough. Let me say that again. You do not have to be perfect to be enough. She outlines three gifts of imperfection, compassion, connection, and courage. Now, this idea of compassion, it's two Latin words put together. It means pati and cum, which means to suffer with. And when we have compassion for others, we're joining with them in their suffering, non-judgmentally and just, just observing and walking alongside them. We're able to have compassion for others and compassion for the pain that we have in our own lives. Connection. Connection is the idea of people feeling seen, heard, and value, authentic human connection with one another, giving to each other without judgment. And the third, the courage, and not just courage to do hard things, but the courage to be real. Courage to show up to a 12-step meeting or to a healing group. The courage to apologize to your kids for yelling at them or shaming them. The courage to be in church surrounded by people and have the courage to admit you are terrified of truly being known. The courage to be real, authentic, and vulnerable. The courage to say it's okay to not be okay. And it's not okay to pretend, and it's not okay to stay stuck. We say these three things at Pure Heart all the time. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to pretend, and it's not okay to stay stuck. It takes courage to say those things, and it takes courage to walk that out. Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should embrace our imperfection and be all, this is who I am. Deal with it. No, we aren't called to be perfect, but we're called to be mature. And people who are mature in their faith are humble, willing to grow, and continue to submit themselves to the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And as soon as a mature person sees sin in their lives, they apologize, they seek forgiveness, they make amends, they root it out through the power of Christ in them and the, tr <laughs> and the support of a trusted community. Let me show you what this looks like from a story from Scripture. So, the disciple Peter, he's one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's like Jesus' right-hand man. And I love the story of Peter. I identify with the story of Peter because I look at him and he, he struggles with this shame and insecurity. He struggles with putting his identity in the wrong things. 
And I think he struggles with perfection and control, which is interesting because you look at his story and you're like, this guy is filled with imperfection over and over and over again. And that's kind of why I identify with him. So we meet up with Peter and Jesus and they're at the Passover meal in Jerusalem. And Peter's been hanging out with Jesus for over three years now. And Jesus starts talking at this Passover meal. He starts talking about how he's going to die and how one of the disciples, how one of them are going to betray him. He's talking about Judas. But Peter takes this personally. He takes offense at this and he says, Jesus, no, never. I, I don't know about these guys, but I am never going to betray you. I will never betray you. I'm your guy. I'm your right-hand man. I'm the rock. Whatever you need, I am there. I will go to death for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, actually tonight, before sunrise, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I would never do that. And Jesus is like, well, we'll we'll see. But later on that night, Jesus is arrested. And the guards come to take Jesus. And Peter's like, oh, this is my shot. This is my chances. But what I've been waiting for, and he takes out his sword and he goes after one of the guards and he cuts one of the guards' ears. And then Jesus tells Peter to stop. If you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And then Jesus goes over to the guard. He puts his hand on the guard's ear and he heals the guard who is about to arrest him. And then Jesus willingly goes with them to stand trial, ultimately for his death. And Peter runs away. But he doesn't run that far. Peter stays close enough to Jesus to be able to see what's going on, to hear what Jesus is saying, to be able to hear the beatings that he's enduring, to be able to hear what's happening in the trial, but not close enough to actually get in trouble, to get arrested himself. Well, someone comes up to Peter and says, I I recognize you. Were you with Jesus? Were you... Were you with him? And Peter's like, no, that, uh, that, that wasn't me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with Jesus. Oh, okay. A second time, someone comes up to him. It's like, I think I, I think I remember you. I think you were with Jesus. I think you might be one of his disciples. And Peter's like, no, that was not me. I'm not a disciple. I'm not with him. I don't know Jesus. A third person comes up and says to Peter, I saw you with him. I know you were with him. You were one of his disciples. And Peter starts getting angry. He starts getting frustrated. He starts cursing. No, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. Get away from me. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. I'm not with him. And right then, the rooster crows. And Peter remembers what Jesus had said. And he turns and he looks right at Jesus. And Jesus is looking right at him. Now the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine that Jesus is looking at Peter, not like, I told you so. Um, And he's not looking at him like he's disappointed or he's shaming Peter. I think Jesus is looking at him with sadness and compassion because he knows the pain and the shame that Peter is about to experience. And Peter runs away. And he weeps bitterly. Jesus is crucified. And they, they took nails and they put, him th- put the nails through both of his hands and one through both of his feet and they nailed him to a cross. Public execution. Now I want to make something very clear. Jesus was not a victim. He was a volunteer. 
He chose this. They did not catch Jesus. And he chose to go to the cross. He chose to die for you and me because he determined that you and I were enough to die for. You and I were valuable enough to die for. And then Jesus didn't stay dead because Jesus is God. He overcame death. He saw victory in death and he rose from the dead three days later, a victory that now you and I can share in. And not just after we die, but right here, right now, we get to stand in the promise. We get to stand in the resurrection power of Jesus right here, right now. And Peter saw the resurrected Lord. He saw Jesus and he was so excited to see Jesus. But then this is what boggles my mind. After Peter sees Jesus resurrected from the dead, he takes the three-day journey back from Jerusalem, back to the Sea of Galilee, and started fishing again. He went back to fishing. Why did he do that? And so he, he's Jesus' right-hand man. He's, he's the chief disciple, but he goes back to just being a fisherman. And so Jesus follows Peter. What I love about this, though, is that Jesus let Peter walk away. He let Peter be identified by his shame, but he still pursued him into that shame, just like you and me. He'll, Jesus will let us make our own choices, but he will walk with us and he will pursue us into the darkness. And so back at the Sea of Galilee, Peter is fishing on the boat and he, he's had a long day and he, they haven't caught anything and they're cleaning up and Jesus is on the shoreline and he shouts over to them, hey, why don't you try throwing your nets on the other side of the boat? And they don't know it's Jesus. And Peter's like, who is this guy? But just to shut him up, they, threw the, they throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And then all of a sudden, all these fish start just jumping in the nets. They're so excited to be caught that the boat starts tipping over and they have to bring over more boats. And then Peter all of a sudden realizes that's Jesus. That's my Lord. And he's so excited that he dives out of the boat and he swims to shore and embraces Jesus. And they have breakfast on the shore. They're probably eating fish. And I imagine, like, what are they talking about? Like, what are Jesus and Peter talking about? I, I'm going to guess that it's just probably awkward silence because Peter's basically run away and gone back to just being a fisherman. And so they're eating and Jesus looks up from his eating his fish, and he says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter looks probably awkwardly at Jesus and is like, Yes, I love you. And Jesus said, Okay, go and feed my sheep. They eat a little bit more, and then Jesus asked Peter a second time, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And I imagine Peter looks down because he's a little bit uncomfortable and he shifts his weight back and forth. And Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I love you. Go take care of my sheep. Okay. And then a third time. John 21, 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I imagine as Jesus is asking this third question, 
Peter gets a little bit uncomfortable and he looks over Jesus' shoulder maybe at the Sea of Galilee and all these memories start flashing back through his mind. The memory of the first time that he met Jesus on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus made this miraculous catch of fish. Or maybe the this, this second memory comes through his head of where they're in the boat and the storm looks like it's going to kill them. It looks like it's going to overtake them. And Jesus is just sleeping. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and quiets the storm. And he says, it's okay. You can nap through the craziest storms in your life. You can have peace in the chaos of life because I am with you. Or maybe this, this third memory pops up of they see Jesus walking on the water, walking on the Sea of Galilee, and then Peter's like, that looks awesome. I want to be where Jesus is, even if it's dangerous, even if it's risky, even though if I'm leaving the safety of my boat, I want to be where Jesus is. And he steps out and he walks on water with Jesus, and these memories flash through his mind. But now he's just a fisherman. You see, shame tells us who we should have been. But Jesus tells us who we already are. And Peter's so wrapped up in this shame of his failure. He failed to live up to his own expectations of himself. He failed to live up to perfection. So he's just going to go back to what he knows. Shame tells us who we should have been. But Jesus tells us who we are. And Jesus is telling Peter, you are still my guy. You are still my guy. I have not left you and I will not leave you. And the opportunities are still available for you. You have not ruined anything with your imperfection. You have not ruined my love for you with your, with your sin. You could never, ever do that. You are already enough. You are already enough. I wonder what Peter's inner monologue was like. I wonder what thoughts were running through his head. Maybe it was like, I'm trash. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I was Peter the Rock. I mean, I walked on water. I was Jesus' right-hand guy, but I failed so hard. And there's no coming back from that. I'm not enough, and I'll never be enough. Here's what this looks like for me. My inner monologue at times, my inner critic. You're still trying to be healthy. Why can't you stop eating nachos? You're lazy and undisciplined. You want to start that ministry at the church? Well, that's great. Um, but here's all the ways that it's probably going to fail. And here's all the ways that people will think you are a failure. Don't do it. Don't even try. You're going to let your kids talk to you that way? You're going to let your kids be on screens that much? You are a terrible father. Hey, do you remember that one time back in junior high when you played baseball and you struck out looking? Yeah, you were trash then. Probably still trash now. Some days you don't even read your Bible. You're a pastor. You're a hypocrite. These are all things that I've said to myself. What my inner critic has said to myself. But that's not who I am. Shame says who I should have been, but Jesus says who I am. And Jesus calls me child of God. Jesus calls me a saint. Yes, I am absolutely imperfect. imperfect. And yes, I have sinned and I will absolutely sin again. 
but that does, is not what defines me. I am a saint. I am a son of the Most High God. You are a saint. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. When you give Jesus your life, that is your new identity. That is who you are. You're not identified by your imperfections or your sin anymore. You are identified as a child of God. You are enough. And I, and I want to be really honest here because this, this might sound ugly, but the ways that I criticize others are always a reflection of how I criticize myself. You see, it's impossible to love someone else the way God loves them if you do not love yourself the way that God loves you. You cannot have compassion for the imperfections in others if you don't first have compassion for the imperfections in yourself. And it's like I'm, I'm at war with myself. It's like within me, I have these two 12-year-old kids, and one is just a turd. He's such a bully. He calls me names. When I look in the mirror, he says I'm ugly and I have a stupid face. When I get, on this, uh, when I get in front of this camera, he just calls me trash and that I don't have anything important to say, and they just should have had somebody else speak. And this other 12-year-old kid, the, the, the one that's getting bullied, See, he struggles with insecurity, his self-esteem, and carries around shame like a security blanket. He hates the bully, but also thinks that he's probably right. Even the Apostle Paul felt like this at some times. See, Romans chapter 7, verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I have all these good things that I want to do, but I don't do them. And I have all these bad things that I don't want to do, but I keep doing them. For in my, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! And this is how I talk to myself sometimes. I am wretched. I am ugly. I am worthless. I, I am nothing. I am terrible. But that's not actually how Paul was talking to himself. See that word wretched? It's probably better translated as miserable. I'm miserable. You see, when I, when I start to listen to all these criticisms uh, within me and I start to feel all this insecurity and shame, I am just miserable because I'm resting in an identity that God never wanted for me. That God never wanted for me. That's not who I am. See, in Duane's Clinical Ophthalmology, Volume 6, Chapter 80, this chapter focuses on preparing kids who are about to go under anesthesia for eye surgery. Now you're like, why are we talking about eye surgery? Why are we talking about ophthalmology. An, ophthalmology. an ophthalmologist is an eye surgeon. And they found that the eye surgeons were having a hard time um, with their bedside manner or, or empathizing with kids who were about to go uh, under surgery. Because this is, this is scary. This is terrifying to go under anesthesia and to go in for eye surgery. And they have like tiny little blades like going into your eyes. And you're like, no, Pastor Mike, they do laser beams now. That's not better. That's, that's still awful. That's terrifying especially for a kid, but absolutely for a grown man. I don't want that at all. And so the person who wrote this chapter was not an ophthalmologist. It was Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And, and Fred Rogers and his writing team, they came up with an incredible first two paragraphs of this chapter. They were going to tell you everything you needed to know about what you were about to learn. 
And Mr. Rogers said, no, cross all that out. Just put these six words and only these six words because this is everything they need to know. And I think it's everything we need to know today. You were a child once too. You were a child once too. See, a child is perfectly valuable. Perfectly valuable. Perfectly enough. A child is also imperfect. They make mistakes all the time, kind of like grown-ups. But a child is perfectly valuable. A child does not need to be perfect to be valuable and to be enough, and neither do you. But many of us, as we grew up, we were taught otherwise. When you give your life to Christ, you become a child of God, a son or daughter of the Most High. That is your new identity. And yes, you are still imperfect. And God is still at work in you. The Holy Spirit is still at work in you. But you do not ever have to be perfect to be enough. You do not ever have to be perfect to be loved by your God. And so, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we get to have peace and joy and compassion for ourselves. Because I know who I am. I am a child of God. I stand in the victory. I stand in the promise. I am a saint. And I'm still imperfect. But I'm perfectly enough. I am perfectly valuable. So I embrace the fact that I'm not perfect. I need a Savior and I love my Savior. And now I'm able with Jesus to have compassion for others and to vulnerably connect to others and have the courage, the courage to be real and to grow into perfect maturity. Now, all of this starts with a relationship with Jesus. It all starts there. So if that's you today, what I want to encourage you is wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this, even if it's not the week that we filmed it, and that's okay, wherever you're at, if you're not in your car, don't do this, but close your eyes, take a deep breath, and realize that the presence of God is right there with you. You don't have to be in a church building for God to be with you. And he's and he loves you. And he says, you are enough. And so if you want to make that decision today, if you want to give your life to Christ, to surrender everything to him, to, to have, have him give you that new identity as a child of God, would you reach out to us? Would you make that decision today? Would you pray to him today? And would you reach out to us? How the, the best, maybe message us in the, in, the, in the video chat or send us an email. We would love to connect with you. We would love to walk with you. We would love to be a part of your journey because no one is, we're, none of us are supposed to journey alone. None of us walk alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for everything that you've done today and everything that you will do. I thank you that we do not have to be perfect or flawless so that you will love us. We don't have to do that. You already love us. You already call us enough. We are already valuable. We don't have to be perfect to achieve that. 
So God, would you give us the gifts of compassion for others and for ourselves, of connection with others, and for the courage to continue to say, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to pretend, and it's not okay to stay stuck. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.